When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Folks, do you want to hear something crazy? Did you know that over 19 million women in America lack reasonable access to birth control? What? I know. Or that one third of women have used their birth control inconsistently just to save money. Oh my God, that's insane. That is a sickening statistic. Fortunately, though, we have a new sponsor that's doing something really revolutionary with birth control access in the U.S. And, well, it's about goddamn time, honestly. (laughs) They're called Simple Health, and they're here to make this, you get it, simple. Starting with online birth control prescriptions and free home delivery. Yeah, Simple Health is awesome because they put women in charge of their own health. They truly believe that access to a doctor, insurance, or cost shouldn't prevent women from getting birth control, and they're helping cut down those barriers. But don't just take it from us. Simple Health has already been rated five stars by hundreds of women. Seriously, there are loads of reviews on their site. And best of all, Simple Health is free with most insurance plans. So you can pay absolutely nothing to use this service every month. And for those without insurance, which let's most be honest, that's most of us. Yeah, it's still super affordable. Pills start at just $15 a month and monthly shipping is free for everyone. I love free shipping. I know. And the annual prescription is usually 20 bucks. But for our private parts unknown listeners, you can try it for free. Just go to simplehealth.com slash private or enter the code private at checkout. And I want to mention that this isn't like a replacement for routine checkups with your doctor. You still need those for your overall health, but this is truly the most convenient and comfortable way to get your birth control. Again, do not miss your chance to try Simple Health for free. Go to simplehealth.com slash private or just enter code private at checkout. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we're taking you to Bloomington, Indiana. Hell yeah. And I know some of you are saying, why? And let me tell you, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) Bloomington is awesome. No, good question. That's for real. (laughs) Look, I've been tooting this Bloomington horn for quite a while. I recorded my album there. It has the best comedy club the comedy addict shout out i will vouch it is the best it's insanely great and it has just the cutest like vibe and people are smart and educated they could use more color yes but it's indiana so they do that's okay how it is. that's how it is i saw several people of color there was a black man at my show <laughs> But the town itself is adorable. It's adorable. It's amazing. And we were really excited to talk to our guests today because we knew that Bloomington has the Kinsey Institute, which is one of the other reasons it's very cool. And my friend Madalano Martin, who's another comic, he told me you should talk to Rebecca. Rebecca Fassman. Rebecca Fassman. He goes, she is so engaging. She's done a bunch of exhibits with Kinsey. And she can basically turn you onto a wealth of information. And it was true. She is awesome, has the best personality, and is a wealth of knowledge on sexual artifacts. I want to go back and interview everyone at the Kinsey Institute. I oh, love yeah, we'll come that back. kind of nerdy sexual research. That Same. is totally my shit. And maybe we can get some pics if they let us. 
Yeah, and while we were at her place, she actually had a, a couple of cool things that we took pics of. So keep your eyes on our Instagram, Private Parts Unknown. Soph's doing a little hair dance. <laughs> they don't need That's to know. That's what you can't see, you guys. <laughs> I, I did the classic using a strand of hair as your mustache bit. Everybody loves it. I'm your dad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so this is actually part of a two-part series. Yep. Um, we also interviewed Smoove, who is one of the owners of The Back Door, this really cool LGBTQ club in Bloomington. And that's Center a- of like the best drag. Yeah. It's so great. The dance floor is great. The whole thing is great. Drinks are cheap. Smoove is amazing. So that's the second part of our Bloomington journey. And in Smoove's den or garage, basically, that is her den, she has the coolest... The pussy cave? The pussy cave. That's what it was called. The coolest trinkets and... The uh, weirdest shit. Actually, it was another place full of sexual artifacts. Yes. Oh, my God. Totally. That's like a really nice That's a connection. nice theme. Yeah. And uh, Smooth's artifacts are mostly dirty and hilarious things, but there's also just a cutout of Judy Dench, right? No, Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith. Yes. Maggie Smith. There's Just overseeing the whole pussy cave. Pretty great. Tripping Jesuses. Ugh, the best. But you guys are going to love Rebecca. So without further ado, here she is. Hello. We're here with Rebecca Fassman from the Kinsey Institute. Hello. Hi. Hi. We're so excited to talk to you. This is seriously a, such an honor. I have been looking through your work and I'm like, oh Incredible. my God, what a bad Thank bitch. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> so yeah, let's just jump in and tell us it's like sexuality meets art. What exactly is your area of expertise. Right. So the collection uh, started at the same time as the actual institute itself. Kinsey Institute is a global leader in the study of human sexuality. um, And our collection spans about 2000 years. Whoa. People listening probably have a good idea how historic and amazing it is. Uh, But can you give a little bit of insight into Kinsey and the legacy? Sure, sure. So the Kinsey Institute was started over 70 years ago by Dr. Alfred C. Kinsey, who is um, interested in uh, human sexuality specifically and how there was such little data about it. When he first started um, to teach a course that was called the marriage course, only available to seniors or married couples at IU which is crazy. That is insane. Yep. So he was interested in why there was no data. um, And so he started to um, take sexual histories. um, And at the time, the president of IU said, you should actually just start this institute. And so he started this institute. The collection happened in conjunction with his uh, research itself. And it's interesting because the collection, which is Uh, collection of material culture related to human sexuality. So it's fine art, it's ephemera, it's sex toys, it's homemade sex toys, all sorts of stuff Um, really was built as an evidence collection, like a collection almost of data, like what does artwork and material culture related to human sexuality say about the people who made it, the people who bought it. So it is this incredible art collection, but built in a totally different way than any other collection I've worked with. So you sent us some links, and one of them was a piece that you wrote about a gay photographer? Yes. There was a show that I curated, um, along with two other people, at the Indianapolis Museum of Art on a photographer named George Platt Lines. Um, So he was a super prolific, very well-known photographer from the 30s to the 50s. He was Vogue's first staff photographer followed afterwards by like Irving Penn and all of the like there were so many famous photographers who came out of Vogue especially you know in the 50s 60s but not a lot of people know who George Platt Lines is one of the reasons that we wanted to do this show was to talk about how important his legacy is and also why we don't know who this man is and how important he was in shaping fashion photography advertising all of this stuff Kinsey started to collect his work um 
in the 40s and fell in love with his work. George Platt Lines photographed male nudes often, but wasn't really able to exhibit them publicly. People in his close circle of friends who also included Gertrude Stein. Tennessee Williams. Tennessee Williams. Thank you. Um, There are a lot of really, really famous creative people in his circle. So they knew that he photographed male nudes, but they were risky items. And so another thing that the Institute has done is sort of be a repository for work that was not really able to be collected elsewhere, right? Like George Platt Lines um, was the chief photographer for um, the New York City Ballet for 20 years. And so the ballet community really knows a lot about his work. Um, And in major museum collections, like he's at MoMA, he's at the um, MFA in Boston, all of these really famous collections have his work, but they don't collect the male nudes because at the time that a lot of these photos were collected, the male nudes were not safe. And so over the past 70 some years, the collection at Kinsey, the collection I work with, I'm very honored to work with, has also served a purpose in providing a safe repository for materials that would have possibly been destroyed otherwise. I was so fascinated. It was illegal to transport these materials by USPS. Right, right. So the First Amendment protects the creation of materials not the dissemination of it. And so the U.S. Postal Service had a limit on what people could send, restrictions on what people could send. And this is the Comstock law that prohibited birth control from being sent to any like abortifacients or whatever, but also anything obscene or the phrase is what appeals to prurient interests. That has since been redefined. So prurient- It's like the definition of pornography where it's like there is not really a definition that's right it's community standards so these laws sort of restricting um what can and can't be sent have loosened obviously in part because of the kinsey institute um there was a a pretty important um legal case that we were involved in in the mid-50s but yeah pornography obscenity the supreme court does not want to touch this and and i think the community standards law will continue to just exist until I don't know, something major happens. But yeah, for a long time, I mean, people went to jail. People got fined. People, you know. So he would literally drive to New York to get some of these artifacts sometimes, which is, I think that's so incredible and such a dedication. Yeah, of course, things have changed. But also the way that we get materials is sometimes really funny to me. Like there was one box of materials that we got in the past four years since I've been here, you can send porn now, you can send magazines through the mail, it's fine. But someone sent us their collection of porn magazines and they had them in boxes of cereal. Like I remember one Raisin Bran box that was open <laughs> in the top and the bottom so you could fit a regular size magazine in it and then duct taped around it. Wow. It was like the most distinct package. Like if you were ever going to send something that you wanted someone to look inside, you would have this bizarre packaging because what the fuck would be in this thing? <laughs> and it was totally, I mean, pretty innocuous porn, you know, just like uh, naked women, like Bush Playboy boobs. style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But I think the idea also that there needs to be some protection for these materials is still something that continues to exist today with our collection in terms of like how people get materials to us. Can you tell us what you do at the Kinsey Institute? Sure. So my title is curator. It was manager of traveling exhibitions. So Kinsey has had an exhibition program since the mid 90s. And largely that has been on campus. Um, We do not have our uh, gallery space. We had a major flood in one of our buildings. Everything was fine. I mean, not everything like the building was like, you know, but ruined. The but the the work was fine. <laughs> the things the that I care stuff. about. Yeah. The people and the art, totally fine. And so when I was hired, I was hired to work specifically with other institutions, um, also to raise visibility for the, this incredible collection. Because we have, I didn't say this before, we have over 100,000 items. That's wow. incredible. To put that into perspective, I think the Brooklyn Museum, when I, w- I went to um, NYU for grad school, the Brooklyn Museum at the time I went had a collection of like 800,000 pieces. I think the Met has a little over a million. For a collection like in Bloomington, a university collection. This is huge. And this is not counting the library and the archives, which has uh, about half a million 
items, documents, wow. books, all of this stuff. So in terms of what I do, um, I work with the art, artifact and photography collections and I work largely with other institutions on exhibitions. And so this allows us, I think in a like an interesting way, a lot of museum collections have heavily sexualized work in them. And I will say in my field, a thing that I have noticed is that people are not super comfortable talking about sex, right? And what? You, right, I know. That's so um, crazy, why? <laughs> and if you are not comfortable talking about sex, it's hard to present a show where one of the main themes might have something to do with sex. And so this is where I come in and I can be like, oh yeah, here is the language that might be the best to use. And here is some ways to think about what was happening at the time. And and so it's been really wonderful being able to work with big institutions. I would say in that sense, the George Platt Lines exhibition at the Indianapolis Museum of Art was really fascinating. Everyone was so positive. It was a great working experience. But we did have long conversations on Slack, which is where we communicated. Yeah. There's one piece in the show that was a um, Robert Maplethorpe piece. And because this was a show about George Platt Lyons, but also about people he influenced. And the Maplethorpe piece was a photo of a man, white man in a police uniform, um, sitting down with his erect penis out and he is holding it. And so I think someone had written the label. I don't think that I wrote that label. I think someone else wrote, grasped his erection. And we had like two days of going back and forth about whether grasped was too aggressive and about do we use erect penis or just erection. Right, exactly. (laughs) And so things like that, that seem small, but really become like, it is an erection. There are certain themes and certain ways of talking about just visually what is in front of you that a lot of people in my field, I think, are not that comfortable with. We were talking about community standards in terms of sending, you know, erotic material, but kind of you're creating community standards when you're deciding on your captions, right? Right. Thank you. That is a nice way to think about this, too, because also I think this maybe comes out of working in a non-solely art environment. Like I work with scientists. I work with people like one of my colleagues, Amanda, did an incredible study about sex and technology. It was with a, um, a period tracking app called Clue. Oh, and I think I use that. Oh, amazing. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so Clue is rad. And uh, they wanted to work with Kinsey on some... Um, studies. And one of the things that we were were interested in, we, Kinsey, I personally had nothing to do with this, was how people are using sex and technology to find out more information about sex, about their bodies, all this stuff. So this study was, I think, translated into 17 different languages and over 100,000 people. I think it was around 140,000 people responded, which is amazing. That's bananas. And including from countries that have pretty harsh restrictions on pornography and stuff. But Clue, because it's a period tracking app, sort of gets through some of those restrictions. I mean, it's not a, obviously like a pornography site, but it is a place where you can find out information about sexuality and about where clitoris is, for example. And where? One, right, right. Who knows? Tell me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a state of mind. Um, but one of the things that I found so interesting is it's not a surprise that there was a lack of sex ed around the world, but how people don't know basic words for Mm. parts of their bodies. And so even just from thinking about that, me knowing that that exists, that lack of information exists, makes me, I think, better at writing Mm. labels for (laughs) artwork because I'm not shy about saying like, erection or clitoris you know Mm -hmm. i i want people to be comfortable with these words hey cokes what do you do every night before you go to sleep you already know the answer masturbate ding 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 that's the correct answer me too i don't know what you guys do maybe you watch line order svu maybe you do a face mask uh everybody has their nightly routine but i feel like as often as i masturbate sometimes it gets stale don't you think yeah i need to spice it up from time to time and you know what worked for me most recently was incorporating a little dipsy erotica into my fantasy time. Oh, hell yeah. I love Dipsy. Dipsy, if you've not used it, it's an audio app full of short, 
sexy stories, and they also have guided sessions, and all of it is designed to turn you on. Mm. And each story was created with women in mind, which is probably why they're so good. <laughs> and they're relatable, they're immersive, there's a fantasy for everyone. If you're into like meeting a stranger and doing them, or I don't know, like an ex fantasy, or maybe you like men and women and you want to put them together in one fantasy. Or you're like a committed hetero, like Cokes. There's something for everyone. I will say, you know what turns the old Cokes on more than anything is good sound design. Ooh. And Dipsy has it. Plus, they add three brand new stories every week. So there's always more to explore. You're never going to get sick of it. And they'll send you a newsletter to let you know what's new. Whatever you're in the mood for, Dipsy always keeps it real and really hot. And privates, we have a deal for you because right now Dipsy's offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash private. You guys owe it to yourselves. Go to dipsystories.com slash private. It's going to be hot. Catch you in the sheets. It's interesting you sent links to some exhibits and then... I read further in the email and you called out the very thing that I was going to call out, which is there's a lot of gay photographers or male nudes that you're studying from a gay male perspective. And it seems like a common theme in your work. And then you pointed out that you haven't really studied portraits of women from the male gaze. And that's like a block for you. Yeah. I am trying to figure out why it is so hard for me to contextualize men looking at women from a curatorial perspective, right? Can I ask yeah, your please. sexuality? Oh, I uh, I I'm mostly straight. I but not not exclusively. Not, all, not sure. exclusively. Sure. Um <laughs> I So do you think that has something to do with how problematic it is for you as potentially the person being gazed at? Yes. <laughs> I also think that I'm like a pretty argumentative person. I'm not mean, but I like getting into shit with people. And curatorially, I want to come from a place of... Um, uh, provoking? I, well, provoking, but also as non-emotional as I can uh, possibly be. And that's really... Like, it's hard for me to write about. It's hard for me to think about this and not be just fucking furious. I don't know how to do that. But it's also like, that's all art. Yeah. So to be like, well, let's now look at women being uh, looked at by men. That's literally all art. Well, right. So it's just hard to then pull yourself out of it enough to be like, okay, well, what is there to learn? Because this is what we are completely steeped in always. Yes. But she's found pockets that aren't that. And I totally understand feeling like, oh, this gives me the distance. I need to be a fucking professional instead of an angry feminist being <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on <laughs> right. even? Right. Okay. So two things. One, uh, and I'll give an example. At the Indianapolis Museum of Art, and this is not like a diss on them. They're wonderful. And I understand why we had to do this. There's nothing sexually explicit in the George Platt Lines exhibition. There's nudity, but nothing sexually explicit. Um, no, there's one, one boner and that was the Robert Maplethorpe boner. Uh, is that right? Yeah. And so with the just male, a couple boners just a at couple the most, boners. Um, <laughs> I want someone angry to write us and be like, there were one and a half boners at that show. I remember it distinctly. <laughs> so, um, so the male nudes, the frontal nudes were all in one room. And we worked with like an advisory council made up of people from Indianapolis Pride, Bloomington Pride to make sure that our language was on point and as inclusive as possible and all of this stuff. And so outside this room, we had um, not a warning label, but I think we ended up on FYI, this room contains full frontal male nudity and in the design of the exhibition it was like well how are people going to get in can they move past if they do they have to go through that room to get to the other stuff mm -hmm. and whatever whatever we had like multiple meetings about this it kept coming up this is a museum like every other museum that is just full of naked women right that same sensitivity to yep. nudity is not we don't need it for women because we are so used to nude women being objectified exactly in art. And so that is another thing that, yeah, when you're looking at it. You're like, Oh, 
more of this. Women and plates of fruit have been the like number one subject. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) And part of me wants to make a show that is such a a bummer in that one of the things that we have because of the time that the collection started and because of the nature of it and that we have fine art we have Chagall and Picasso and Renoir and like and Maplethorpe of course and other people who are are like very well-known names we also have postcards and flyers and like magazines and especially around World War II a lot of the material that we have the cartoons and stuff like that are so sexualized in such fucking gross ways and like Mm. part of me wants to do a show that is mostly that because it's so overwhelmingly I'd love to see that yeah okay yeah it's funny I run some ideas about shows by my family because I'm chatty and I have no filter and whatever and I told my grandmother who is 98 Ooh. And she was like, why would you do that? You can't do that. Like, people- She's maybe not the demo. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, she was alive. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, but She's I- like, oh, you mean pictures of my fucking friends? Right. Don't put them <laughs> cool. in the exhibit. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> but there are so many. I mean, there's. I can think off the top of my head, 50 pieces that we have, cartoons and stuff that are just so objectifying in like gross ways that, yeah, I think there's a lot of the gays that we just don't see that often Mm -hmm. that's pretty was that like jerk off material for servicemen right um can you describe one of them sure okay so there's one pretty busy drawing and it's all different types of breasts so like ones that hang low and ones and they all are given names but all of the names are not derogatory but just shitty it's like the dead mice or something the like that. The dead like, mice? Like, like Jesus. Fallen, you know, right. There's a lot of slut shaming too. We have a collection uh. actually of flyers. It's interesting. Flyers dropped by the Germans on the Allied side and flyers dropped by Allies on the German side. And there are illustrations about how their women are syphilitic disease carrying whores. Like, Why would they f- use the resources, the scarce resources during the <laughs> war to be like, uh, we're just doing a slut shaming drop on right. the... Well, it's <laughs> like a mental game, right? Yes, exactly. They're like, oh, okay, well, on the front lines, we're going to like have bullets, but then we're going to be real catty right. <laughs> right. in our free time to fuck with your mental game. Right. I remember there's one piece that's a soldier... I can't remember who the protagonist is in this um, in this dynamic. It's definitely not the woman. Um, there's a soldier it's like the Nazis, right? right the probably always. Um, <laughs> I like embracing a woman, and they're in front of a mirror, and in the reflection, the woman is a skeleton. And it said something about how the women are actually the silent killers or something like that uh, because they're disease carrying, again, like disease carrying whores. Jesus. It's fucking wild. I I would love to see that. I I think you should do it. Okay. All right. It's fascinating. I guess I should not take curatorial advice from my 98 year old grandmother. Yeah. Though I love her so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm curious how, because like a lot of your work is dealing, you know, decades past. And I'm curious what you think about contemporary queer artists and kind of the state of the union for them, what's accepted and what's not and where we are at. Because I feel like it kind of shows where we're at culturally as a whole, right? Yeah. So we don't collect work in a normal way that that other collections collect work. We are largely crowdsourced. And so people donate and send us stuff as opposed to us sort of targeting areas that we want to develop and like Mm -hmm. working with donors and blah, blah, blah. This is to say that we don't have as big of a contemporary collection as I would like. But I think there's a lot of variation and variety in terms of whose work is being able to be accepted into like major museums that sort of thing like I think right now even though I mean even when I think about our collection it is largely white it is largely cis and it is largely male Uh right there's this is not an excuse that just is the way that the art world has been dominated who the gatekeepers have allowed in that is changing and I see a lot more like queer women of color. I see a lot uh, more artwork by trans artists. And like that is super exciting to me. And I think, too, one of the things that I think is great is 
also the dialogue that can happen between the two. We had a really wonderful guest curator named Jean Vaccaro who went to IU, got her PhD here. She did a show of contemporary trans artists in dialogue with work from our archives that was fascinating and rich and wonderful. And like when I think about future projects, I also want to like not just stay in the past, but be able to, even if our collection doesn't include as much work as I want by contemporary queer artists, I also think that there's room to experiment and, you know, work with other collections. There's shows with trans people on now and like we're kind of in this new age. And for me, it's super easy to forget that there's like actually so much more work to do, (laughs) you know, living in L.A. Do you feel that here in Bloomington, which is how big? Oh, I think there's with out students I think that's like 70,000 people something like that yeah it feels like a small town yeah super small do, do you feel the collide of being this progressive institute in this place that's otherwise pretty conservative yes I think it's impossible not to you know we're, we are since we are a public university we can't be political and that like Kinsey Institute's not going to like endorse a political candidate not that Mm -hmm. anyone would really care anyways but uh but just by our the nature of us existing we are political right yeah but we have protests and stuff somewhat often and there's one group in particular that has targeted us Indiana Liberty Coalition kind of ironic with the name there right right exactly like uh we'd like to take the liberty to take your liberty (laughs) away (laughs) it is uh but they're scary there are people who have targeted us who have done shit that is scary there are people like this group has uh, dr kinsey's old house is about a 15 minute walk from campus and last year someone from the Indiana Liberty Coalition parked outside of his old house, which he died in the mid fifties. This man is super dead. (laughs) And, uh, and there's a lovely couple who lives there now. And um, this woman stood outside of his house and had this Facebook live stream or whatever, giving the address, giving um, how to get into and out of the property, like literally doxing like this. This couple. couple. Well, because so what, all of do the, they think Kinsey's ghost lives there? Actually, and they're like bothering other ghosts. So there's like very untrue rumor that Kinsey had raped children, which is again very not true. Uh, and but there are groups they pick up on this shit, like on this fake news shit. And so in the comments, because it's a Facebook live video, hundreds of people were like, oh, yeah, let's go burn the house down. We need to cleanse the ghosts of the babies that he raped in the house. All this gnarly shit. Wow. I was kidding about the ghost thing. But right. No. No. And then they're like, oh, yeah. And let's go to the offices and like burn them down while the staff is inside. Holy shit. That's yeah. so scary. Terrifying. Do they just think like you guys are gross and graphic and sexual is it just straight up stigma or it's funny they think that kinsey invented pornography and i'm like well if you come to the collection let me give you a tour and Uh we'll show you that is actually inaccurate right but they're very religious very conservative christian obviously um and want sex ed to be taken out of schools they don't want any like lgbtq rights we're wrapped up in this bigotry that we have become the sort of poster children for That being said, IU itself has been like wonderful in helping us combat them and also making sure that everyone is as safe as possible. But yeah, living here is not even just in interpersonal ways. Like I love my job. And as you can see, I'm like very chatty. Um, I don't really talk about what I do to strangers in Bloomington or outside nor do I tell people here that I am Jewish because people have made me feel unsafe for both of those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I very acutely felt when I was telling Jewish jokes here that I am the only Jewish person these people know. Yeah. Especially w- when it comes to, I think, humor. <laughs> I definitely remember a couple of times getting into conversations with like strangers at bars and I would tell some sort of a Jewish joke and they'd be like, well, what about this one? Like very clearly not Jewish. And, and their jokes were like, I don't so know. So they love money, right? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I was like, like oh, totally anti-Semitic. That yeah. sucks. <laughs> you can't do that. Um, so it's those types of things. And like, there are a lot of assumptions that people make, I think about me 
sexually. I mean, they could be wrong. They could be right. It's just none of their fucking business. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you must be a real freak, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, people think all of the staff members all sleep with each other. Like, I've gotten that from, like, donors and artists. Oh, so you sleep with your colleagues, right? I'm like, That's insane. No, I totally don't like i'm a normal person yeah, yeah <laughs> i have a job yeah. like you yeah do you sleep with everyone at your job right right but i th- think well, that- isn't that kinsey's legacy too i don't know the full history but right. was he fucking everyone or no not everyone i mean there were i think how there many was, people were was he fucking and nothing and nothing i mean i don't actually know the details but my understanding is there were some of the researchers that had dalliances with each other or whatever but it wasn't at work Co-workers fuck each other sometimes. Like, that just happened. Uh-huh. I mean, not, you know, whatever. <laughs> it happens sometimes. <laughs> um, but the legacy of Kinsey, I think it's the people think that it, there was just like an orgy in the office all the time. That is not true. <laughs> um, I. It was at home. It was at home. <laughs> it's upstairs. They in were being house. responsible about the fucking. Right. It's not at work. Exactly. Exactly. Quick question for you, Cokes. Hmm. Men can get Viagra online. Why should birth control be any different? Oh my God, it shouldn't. In fact, it should be easier to get birth control. Great answer. Birth control is a basic part of women's health care. And we're so excited to work with Simple Health because they want to make it as easy as possible for women to fulfill basic health care needs, regardless of their income, location, or insurance access. Simple Health is committed to empowering women outside of their company and actually within their company too. Listen to this stat. 63% of their overall team is female, including 60% of their engineering team. Way to go, Simple Health. It's so awesome. That is so rare in a male-dominated industry like this one. And if you're on birth control looking to get back on or want to try it for the first time, you know how annoying and difficult and sometimes confusing the process can be. From figuring out which method you want to dealing with the refills at the pharmacy or remembering to renew your prescription, it's honestly a nightmare and anything but simple. So enter Simple Health. They're changing all that headache with online birth control prescriptions and free home delivery, making birth control accessible, convenient, and affordable for all women. Here's how it works, guys. You go to simplehealth.com private. You fill out an online profile with your medical history, conditions, and birth control preferences. Maybe you know the exact brand you want or need something to skip periods or manage acne. Simple Health has got you covered. A licensed doctor will review your information and determine if you're a good candidate for birth control and write you a prescription for the right method, whether that's the pill, the patch, or the ring. And then your birth control ships to your door for free on a recurring schedule so that you never have to worry about forgetting a refill or missing a pill again. That sounds so sweet and easy. Simple Health is free with most insurance plans too, so you can pay absolutely nothing to use the service every month. And if you don't have insurance, it is still super affordable. Pills start at just 15 bucks a month, and monthly shipping is free for anyone. And I love free shipping so much. Love it. The annual prescription is usually 20 bucks, but privates, you can try Simple Health for free. Just go to simplehealth.com slash private or enter the code private at checkout. Uh, and of course, this isn't, you know, a replacement for seeing your doctor and getting checkups and pap smears and all that. You still need that. But this is truly the easiest and most convenient way to get your birth control. Yes. Again, do not miss your chance to try Simple Health for free. Just go to simplehealth.com slash private or enter code private at checkout. It's so simple. You guys are going to love it. Going back to the art part of it um, and the male gaze and the female gaze and stuff. Do you find that it's kind of ironic that despite the fact that the female figure is such a central uh, subject for so much art that it's always just an idealized version men never really paint women in any other way than completely perfect no one's painting older women no one's painting how your titties go to the sides when you lay down. You know what I mean? Like people are not. And it, it kind of well, seems insane. the dead mouse tits is exception to the rule. <laughs> there are exceptions, but you're right. By and large, most yeah. of it is. I will say this. We have a huge photography collection. And I think in terms of medium with painting, with drawing, 
you do find a lot more of the sort of idealized versions of whatever you're working with. With photography, however, like we have a documentary collection that is, um, we have about uh, 50,000 pieces in our documentary collection. And this is a collection that Kinsey himself started that was meant to be a sort of visual encyclopedia of sexuality, which sounds so ambitious to the point of being almost ludicrous, but thinking about how much of a perfectionist and a taxonomist he is, it makes sense. Before he got into sexuality, he studied um, bugs and he studied specifically oh, really? yeah, gall wasps and the American Museum of Natural History in New York has his, many of them are individually labeled collection of six and a half million gall wasps. So I'm just dude. saying like this dude really liked to label shit. Attention to detail right. much. Right. Damn. So in the documentary collection, which is one of the biggest collections that we have, because it's photography, because it's pre-Photoshop, <laughs> I actually feel super refreshed going through the documentary collection because you do see like all bodies, big, small. You see the diversity of shapes, sizes, colors, all of this stuff that we don't see in, in a lot of fine art, mm-hmm. which is super interesting. But so it's not that those depictions don't appear in our collection. They do, but they don't appear in a lot of fine art museums, which is like, but it's specific to medium, I think, which is fascinating. So I am interested in handmade sex toys. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us about some of the most interesting ones? There was one that was just in an office when I started and it was like a piece of plywood that had a cover on one side and a motor on the other that was basically like the top of a washing machine when it's on, like just like this, like it was like a wide, something that you'd put on, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what contraption you would put it on, a toilet chair or something like that, some chair with a hole in it where the motor could go and you just sit on this wide expanse of um, covered plywood that was a very rudimentary one. That would vibrate. And yeah, like... and it would vibrate. If we don't have the physical ones, there are some that are depicted in pieces that I think are like brilliant. We have this print from Japan. I think it's a 19th century print of a woman lying on the ground wearing a kimono and her kimono is open. So her vulva is exposed and she has this bell that is one small cylinder and one larger cylinder around the smaller one. And she is inserting the smaller cylinder into her vagina and with a mallet banging on the bigger cylinder, making her own vibrator. So resourceful. Oh, my God. It's so amazing. (laughs) So cool. Right. And so there are these depictions of innovation and creativity. I mean, one of the things that always strikes me about the collection is how, first of all, like, Anything that we think that we have like innovated sexually apart from technological advances is complete bullshit. Our grandparents, our great grandparents, we all want to orgasm, whether alone or with someone else or with many people. And we're going to figure out a way to make this shit happen. And like technological advances aside, we're so creative in like figuring out how to do this. People love to come. They so do. People love to come. And you're talking to two ladies who. We love to jerk off. We love to jerk (laughs) off. We call ourselves the drill team. Yes. Amazing. We were each gifted a Doc Johnson iVibe, which is really nice. A pretty stellar (laughs) really stellar vibrator. And then we built a vibrator at a party. Oh yeah, we did. Wait, you did? Yeah, there's a kit. You know Mrs. Fletcher, the new HBO show? Yes. They had, I gotta say, an amazing rollout of like (laughs) parties and Uh shit to promote it beforehand. Still haven't watched the show, but I will. (laughs) Because we made an incredible vibrator. The chargers to USB. And I've used it. Have you used yours? Yes. Amazing. (laughs) It's in my bag right now. I'm I'm gonna need to relax before my my album recording. I should probably bring my vibrator. Amazing. So since we're talking to an expert on, you know, sex toys, yeah. is there anything you'd like to shout out? Oh, um, well, okay. So, oh God, I am, I am like a little behind the time. No, it's mostly that I'm just cheap. And like the products that I want are the ones that are like $300 that could exist as a thing on your living room table, but also you, you can fuck it too. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
That is but so I will say this. <laughs> right. I know. I'm like a bougie asshole when it comes to. Um, I did rediscover a vibrator in my collection that I used differently than I did before. I'm just saying like, I, I think that maybe, um, I don't know, I've used sex toys on and off for my pretty much like entire adult life. And I sometimes think that it's worthwhile to go back to ones that you maybe have not used in a while and revisit them and think creatively about how to use them. Spoken <laughs> like have. a true curator. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me serious elementary school teacher vibes right. just there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, here's the thing. No, is that, that was beautiful. I don't, I'm not dating anyone right now. I'm not fucking anyone right now. Like I do more drugs right now in this part of my life than I ever have before because I am bored. So I remember being like, okay, what am I going to do this weekend? Um, I'm going to look at what sex toys I have. And some of them are also like related to previous partners. And so I feel like there's like an exorcism that needs to be performed sometimes with sex toys. You got to sage them and get the Mm -hmm. like bad juju or whatever um, off of them. And so (laughs) just wash them. And I (laughs) and so I was like looking, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to try this used to be an old standard. I'm going to try it again. And I did. And I had a fucking mind blowing orgasm. And I was like, I don't need to date anyone for a really long time now. <laughs> and it was really exciting. Um, but no, I uh, I need to do a better job with buying sex toys because I... You know what? We have some... We can send... We'll send you some. Really? Yeah, we're going to send you a gift. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would love I that. I definitely have some really fun stuff. Okay, great. Send you. Great, great. Also, side note, sometimes my iVibe won't be fully charged and I'll run into this problem where I have to stop... And charge, and charge it. it. And that's when I bring out the reinforcements. And then I'll just be fucking myself with everything else in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously will have like three things going. It's so sad. <laughs> and also pleasurable. Yeah, I was like, doesn't sound sad. No. Sounds like a great time. Sounds like you are resourceful. <laughs> Yeah, creative. but that's maybe the worst feeling is right, when it I stops know. vibrating in the middle and you're like, but I no. know, <laughs> I know. I, I usually have to just keep it going until it's charged back up. And- <laughs> I feel like a function no one's doing is to have a sensor on your fucking mm. Oh my God. That shows that you the battery power. Yeah. Why, percentage. Why, why don't you do that? Yeah. It's like a phone. So yeah. I can be like, oh shit, a 10%, I should probably plug this bitch in. Right. That's you know? such a good, idea. a good idea. right? Such a good idea. I do want to try the sex toys that are like the, um, the tongues that you, oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm intrigued by this technology where you can basically go down on yourself. Kind of, there's an app with the, Oh, I, I have tongue. not used one of those. Okay. That I don't know about d- that. All right. So tongue with a little Bluetooth connection to an app on your phone, you can program this tongue, how you want it what? to fuck you. Or someone else can do it too. Since it's an app, you can I can't like picture what the tongue looks like. It's just like a little, like a floppy little, like a tongue, like a tongue. It actually is kind of disturbing because I don't know. I am a Jew and grew up going to delis where there'd just be like a tongue. It's like a little version of the oh Jewish deli tongue, <laughs> like, like the cow tongue I love to eat. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Great. Um, <laughs> so imagine that <laughs> one tenth of the size in your vagina <laughs> but uh you can program it that so, sounds tight yeah i'm super interested in this it's so funny to me that i i think i'm gonna do a bit about this but i think people were worried like oh as soon as there's sex bots it's just gonna be the guys who are just they're gonna give up on women and they're just gonna fuck robots Dude, the women are going to be the first people out the door who are just like, I'm exclusively fucking a sex bot now. I'm sorry. You're not worth it. It's true. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how expensive they are. I think they're pretty pricey, right? Like a good top of the line sex, sex robot. robot. I mean, just now they are, but probably in like I don't need a whole years. person. Yeah. I just need this part. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't need a face or anything. <laughs> no. Prefer to not have a face. Yeah, same, same Z's. <laughs> but uh, I also think with sex robots, I um, I sort of wonder about 
where you keep them too. Like I think about, I'm like, well, are people in New York buying oh that? God. Like where do they put yeah. them? Their Under apartments the are tiny. Right. They have to where? fold really well. Do you charge them also? <sighs> yes. Or they're like small wonder. Right. Remember? <laughs> what small wonder? You don't remember that TV show? No. It was like that girl robot that lived with the family. Yeah. And they can like turn her off. Yeah. And she's also like a person. That's so oh. weird. I wonder if there was a porn made about that. Oh, a hundred percent small wonder yeah, yeah, is a yeah, porn. Yeah. There's no way. No way it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. I know. Same <laughs> <laughs> this has been amazing. Thank yeah. you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you. Is We're there gonna... anything you want to tell our listeners about Kinsey? Check our website. I mean, I have shows coming up in Miami and in Chicago and hopefully in New York and D.C., but just check back with us early and often what's the website kinseyinstitute.org thank you amazing i think we're gonna have to come back and do we should just yeah like post up at your office yeah please do it's really um it's fun and it's real nerdy yeah come do a weekend and like interview all of us everyone does really interesting research and everyone is a nerd about sex which is great and they're all like really cool lovely people hell yeah i would love that yeah thank you do it thanks rebecca thank you Oh my God, Rebecca, that was fantastic. We are going to legitimately send you our favorite sex toy. Yeah, I literally just wrote down in my calendar, send vibrator to Rebecca. So it's coming, girl. We got you. Vibe on the way. (laughs) That's the little noise you're going to make when you (laughs) masturbate. I don't know why. (laughs) And next up, we have another episode from Bloomington. We are going to be talking to Smooth from the back door. This is going to be amazing. It's a crazy one. And the visuals that are going to accompany it on the Instagram are going to be insane. So stay tuned. We also got our tickets to Tokyo, you guys. Hell yeah. It's happening. If you want to shout some Tokyo suggestions at us on Twitter, on Instagram. We would love that. We would love it so much. Private Parts Unknown on Instagram. Private Parts Unknown on Twitter. We will be going from February 5th to the 11th. We are currently working out our itinerary. If you have people that you think we should meet or talk to, amazing recs, places to go, things to look at or eat. We would love that. Hey, Sophia, what's this bomb-ass music? Oh, this? It's by our amazing friend, Amy Roche. Please find her on Spotify. Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We love you, Mike. Ooh, that's our best one yet. Ooh, we're jazz. We're singers. And now it's time for the review of the week. What you got, Cokes? This is from Straight Killer. Love the new format. Loved the old show. The new show is even better. What? Thank you. Great interviews. Great guests. And it sounds incredible. Aw, thank you, Killer. That's honestly, you just killed us with kindness. You did. That was amazing. And we want to be killed with kindness over and over and over again. We have nine lives. So you guys, go to iTunes. Give us those five stars. Tell us what you love about the show. We would love to hear from you. Okay, you've ruined the good thing. I'm a professional. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, tell us where you want us to travel to next. If there's stories you want us to explore, people you want us to interview, holler at us. We're Private Parts Unknown on Instagram, Private Parts Un on Twitter. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.